Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to a special Times Business podcast. I'm Richard Fletcher, business editor of The Times, standing in for Robert Miller, who's off sick. Robert, you'll be pleased to hear, will hopefully be back next week. Get well soon, Robert. This week's podcast is all about the autumn statement, the third, yes, third, major fiscal event this year, and comes just four months after the summer budget, so no one's expecting any significant revisions to economic forecasts or major changes to personal and business taxation. But that's not to say it's going to be boring. For starters, there's the comprehensive spending review, with steep cuts to departmental budgets expected. We're also expecting the reversal of the cuts to tax credit set out in the summer budget. I'm joined today by Philip Aldrich, our economics editor, Oliver Cam, the Times columnist and leader writer, and Catherine Hopkins, who used to work in the Treasury before she came to her senses and got a semi-proper job as a journalist. Philip, you wrote a great column this week arguing that being dogmatic could inflict enormous damage on public services and thwart George Osborne's leadership ambitions as the full impact of the cuts became apparent just as rivals mount their charge. Just, just talk me through your thinking. What I'm thinking is that basically in the... Uh comprehensive spending review we're going to have departmental cuts which are going to really potentially cut right into the bone now we've had all the low-hanging fruit have been picked and uh, efficiency savings in the uh, public services Uh, you can't find easy ones any longer so deeper cuts just sort of straightforward uh, efficiency savings that are going to just inflict enormous damage on the public services so they have to think more radically um, about finding those savings and and uh, you know there have been people who've been talking about merging departments uh, and also the sort of digitization of the government which uh, puts more emphasis on uh, centralization of uh, of the back office stuff you know and it's going to strip out duplication across the departments and, and also you tend to find that when departments decide on their cuts uh, in isolation, what happens often is is you get savings in one department just shifted across to other parts of uh, government spending. So uh, you don't get an overall cut, you just get these individual departmental cuts and and it doesn't all add up to what... uh, uh, to, to, to anything that makes sense and the worst example of this was uh, a while back actually it was uh, um, the sale of council housing stock ended up uh, forcing more people into private rented accommodation and as a result the housing benefit bill went absolutely through the roof so this uh, saving for you know councils as they didn't build more um, uh, actually ended up uh, costing the state an enormous amount of money so uh, you've got to, you've got to think joined up and that's the only way I think that they're going to be able to deliver this and uh, if, if, if it's just nasty cuts, then uh, come you know, 2018, 2019, people are going to be an outcry over the public state of the public services, potentially. And Oliver, obviously we are, we are going to see some quite dramatic cuts in budgets. Are these now driven by necessity, i.e. We, the, the markets are demanding that we make our, our 
books balance more than they have done in the past? Or is it now driven by ideology? Is this about simply shrinking the size of the state and the influence of the state? I think it's more the latter. It's more for political reasons. But I don't want to sound derogatory in saying that there's an ideological um, motivation behind it. There was, when the coalition government took office, a serious risk of losing market confidence. The uh, initial strategy of the coalition government, and George Osborne specifically, was uh, very much front-end loaded austerity. The Chancellor eased up quite sharply on fiscal tightening around 2012 and ended up, by the end of the Parliament, at very roughly the sort of level for the budget deficit as a proportion of national income that Alistair Darling was planning on, uh, the Labour Chancellor going into the 2010 election. The mix of policy was different, but the end result was quite similar. Now, I think there was a good argument for front-end loading austerity, and I think the Chancellor's critics have been proved wrong that we wouldn't see growth by 2015. Now, the Chancellor... um, is buffeted by two things. First, the state of the opposition is extremely weak. It doesn't have a credible economic policy. And the Conservatives are looking to be sort of ideological body snatchers, the party of working people. And they must judge policy on how far they achieve that. But second, there's no doubt that um, the Chancellor believes that public spending as a share of GDP should be closer to 30% than, than, than 40%. And, uh, and there is a political motivation there. And he would rather get it out of the way now than closer to the election. And we, we obviously have this strange phenomenon that in, in, we get, there are departments that are doing very well in the fact they're ring-fenced uh, and therefore the cuts, that they're not affected by them. Was that a mistake, Phil, to, to ring-fence certain departments by the Chancellor? No, I, I, I don't think it was a mistake to, to ring-fence them. People obviously object to the aid budget more than the health budget, for example, being ring-fenced. But, uh, you know, I think education and defence, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a defensible uh, policy. Uh, but it does mean that you inflict much harsher uh, cuts on the other departments, and that's that's where you have to see the radical reforms. The You know, the increase in NHS spending hasn't been keeping up with GDP growth. It's been, it's been growing faster than inflation. And historically, you would have seen... Uh, spending increasing in line with GDP growth. So, in in one sense, there has been there has been a, a cut against historic norms um, uh, for even the protected departments. Economically, I think it is a mistake. Politically, I think it's the right thing. The Conservatives need to not so much now that Labour has taken a sharp turn to the left, which I, in my opinion, will be a, an electoral dead end for them, but the Conservatives need to dispense with the idea that they are bone-dry, uh, free market ears, unconcerned about public services, and the ring-fencing of certain departmental budgets, specifically the aid budget as a symbolic one, um, I, I think had a had a, had a strong and well-calibrated political motivation, but as a means of allocating public resources, scarce public resources, I don't think it makes much sense at all. So, the Conference Spending Review, but then the other big story will be tax credits, and it, hindsight's a great thing, but it was easy, you know, looking back, when you looked at those tax tables as we laid them out after the, the, the summer budget, it, you know, I remember looking at them and thinking, ouch, there's some real losers there at the bottom of the tables. He's in a bit of a mess here, isn't he? How does he get out of this, Phil? Well, there's uh, there's two things he could do. He can he can stagger the in- 
impact of the tax credits because surprisingly for him actually he he's just bringing them in in year one uh without uh without any sort of gradual adjustment and, and it's over four billion pound hit in year one to you know, people, you know poorer working families pockets which is a massive hit so he could just stagger it in uh alternatively he could just uh, uh, abolish it completely by the it because a lot of this tax credit stuff is actually moving on to the universal credit um and so there's uh, there's there's reforms in in universal credit where there where there will be savings. The objection is not to universal credit. The objection is to this part of the working tax credit. In the in the final year, um, it's only going to cost three and a half billion. Um, he wants to get ten billion of savings from welfare, so it's three and a half. Oh, sorry, twelve billion of savings 12 billion. from welfare. He, he wants, and so this is three and a half billion. You know, he conceivably could he could he could just scrap it. He's got the headroom. Oliver, I'm sure, insofar as I can be sure of anything, about. Um, prospective policy announcements that the Chancellor will amend this. When he made the the initial um, announcement to the end of removing, as Phil says, 12 billion from from welfare spending, the line that he and his colleagues gave was that this would be balanced by the national living wage. Now that just, you can't make the figures add up to that extent. Even though he will argue, the Chancellor will argue, that there will be net beneficiaries over the long term. You have, for precisely the reason that Phil just said, you have a lot of people at the lower end of the income scale who will be faced with a cash flow problem, and a sharp one. And um, th- there's little doubt that this, was, this, is, this is an error, particularly when the Conservative Party wishes to position itself in the centre ground with the implosion of the Liberal Democrats and the evacuation of the Labour Party from, uh, from the mainstream. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll see not the abolition, I expect, but some sort of staggered arrangement, some form of compensation uh, for, for, for what has certainly caught the Chancellor by surprise, the political controversy. So, Catherine, uh, obviously not quite as exciting these days in the Treasury as when uh, Gordon Brown was uh, Chancellor and we're, we're, we're reliably informed that they were ripping the, the Red Book up right up to the last minute. Uh, because these days, obviously, they have to send the numbers off to the OBR, don't they, uh, in advance. But but what's it like in the Treasury in those sort of weeks leading up to the budget, the autumn statement, the emergency budget, whatever this one is? Well, everyone at the Treasury will be extremely tired at the moment because, as you said earlier, in an election year, they normally have two budgets and an autumn statement. So they'll be wishing that it will be over soon. Um, There's just lots and lots of very long hours. So the whole of the press office, um, the Chancellor and all his special advisers will be in well past midnight tonight. And and while the speech will be written, the Chancellor will certainly be fine-tuning a lot of things. Also, the press office and policy advisers will just be going over and over and over policy to make sure they can communicate it to the press and, and the public the next day because what they don't want is a repeat of the Omni Shambles budget in 2012 where we had the pasty tax and the granny tax and I think at that point they were they were too comfortable and I don't think they did a very good job in trying to communicate it in the days after and it just went just went horribly wrong and then the, the thing that the, the press will be looking out for which they always do is to see the pizza boxes going in at the treasury which they always do but we've seen lately that the chancellor's switched from domino's pizzas to byron burgers so yeah I was that's say, what it's he'll be posh, having it's posh burgers isn't it these days <laughs> yeah yeah than, no than burger pizzas. king for him 
No Burger King for him. Okay, so this is when you uh, all earn your 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 vast salaries. Uh, I want I want the two best guesses, and we will be returning to this next week to check how you've done. So, <laughs> Phil, uh, what are your two best? What should we be looking out for? What are your two best guesses? Um, I think he will. Uh, announced some reliefs for manufacturers on business rates because obviously you've seen the steel industry which is um, in meltdown and, and the manufacturing industry struggling with exports it's supposed to be the march of the makers it's supposed to be leading the economy forward but actually manufacturers have been in recession since the start of the year so if he can uh, provide some kind of uh, relief on uh, factories or on capital equipment which they which they buy and he'll sell that rates. as supporting the steel industry yeah he was, he was yes yeah, steel industry and manufacturing in, in general so there'll be that and then uh, the other one would be I, I i'd guess that will be uh it's a safe bet it's fuel duty he'll scrap the inflation index increase but it's a very easy thing to do this time because the inflation index increase is going to be so small that just by scrapping it, it won't cost him anything basically so uh he gets a little uh he gets to win a little bit of plaudits with the uh with the car industries. Oliver? First, as we've already mentioned, the tax credits, he'll stagger. Second, my... I'm not sure I'm going to give you the tax credits because that one already that one already exists, but let's have number two and we'll okay. decide we're going to ask for a third one. Well, in his conference speech, the Chancellor engaged in, I can't remember if he used the term, but it, some uh, some people refer to it as fiscal federalism, as um, allowing local authorities to keep a certain amount of the of the of the rates they levy, I think we'll go further in that direction because it um, it very much accords with his belief in uh, a northern powerhouse in regional development. And a third thing, if you want it, is uh, as you do, um, is um, he's very hot on the issue of infrastructure, the fact that we're no good at it, and he will probably, I think, come with some sort of guarantee allowing pension funds to invest more in um, infrastructure projects. At the moment, there are certain obstacles they have, uh, solvency regulations. I would expect him, given his high-profile appointment of Lord Adonis, a very um, creative thinker, of course, a, a Labour peer, um, they're now crossbencher, given his commitment to infrastructure, I think that that's one area where he will act. Catherine? Um, I'll be quick, um, but I think he's going to have to do something on housing supply um, because that problem's not going away. Um, I think he's going to lay out more details on um, converting um, former prisons or or prisons that are outdated into homes. Not sure I'd want to live in one personally. Uh, and he may look at just tweaking the stamp duty numbers again. Excellent. Well, what thank you. What about, what about you, Richard? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the great point of being this side of the table rather than that side. And, and they're telling me that I'm running out of time. Anyway, thank you. That's all for this week. Don't forget, if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Philip, Oliver and uh, Catherine they're on Twitter as am I and I will tweet out my free uh, my free predictions now so do follow them we'll be back next week thanks for listening thank you for downloading to discover more head to thetimes.co.uk but where do I start poached egg on toast oh, black coffee perfect. cereal um, fruit um, I, I just go on and on is that enough level wow. And that's great. We were just um, discussing whether At we least the coffee is like. Well, we should include this in the podcast. I think we should actually. I think that'd be quite funny. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.